What you are about to hear is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries of Spring Lake, Michigan. Your teachers are Don and Becky Smith, and this first session is from the 2019 Bridge to Life Couples Weekend. The focus for the next four sessions, the next four weeks that is, Prioritizing Your Marriage. Let me tell you about our theme for this year, and it is uh, Prioritizing Our Marriage. Um, The idea behind it was last year our theme was um, protecting our marriage. And um, we put out a survey and we said, what are areas where you feel like you need to work on something to help protect your marriage better? And so we received uh, about 100 responses uh, from the survey we put out. And to my amazement, uh, one of the highest things that individuals checked was, uh, I need to work on my selfishness. And that wasn't written in the survey as an option to check. They just wrote it in there. And I was absolutely surprised. I would have thought how to fix my wife or something along that line, but uh, it was selfishness, which really made me stop and think, you know, it, it is a serious issue. And I think we could love better if we took a, look, took a look at our selfishness. And so the theme behind our thoughts this weekend are really going to be looking at what's going on inside and what do we really struggle with as to our selfishness and how that affects our marriage relationship. So uh, with that, um, let me just uh, look at uh, kind of where our marriages are. When was the last time you stopped and took a look at where your marriage is? What's going on between the two of you? Uh, If you're like a lot of couples, you're busy, kids, work, you're tired, illnesses, um, family issues and such, to the extent that we're, we're just kind of existing. My point is, I think many of us have settled for a mediocre marriage. Not intentionally. We didn't say, you know, I just want a mediocre marriage. But somehow we've drifted to that point. And we've kind of come to the place of tolerating it, perhaps not thinking that things could really change. And so therefore, I will just take and uh, we'll get by. My concern is, is that what God designed And how does that affect us if we've just settled for a mediocre marriage? Um, I want to ask you a question. I've got to find my notes here. Um, Let me ask you a question. What do you think some signs of a mediocre marriage might be? I have a list here, but I, I just want to get some ideas and see what you guys might think of a mediocre marriage. Marriage. Now, I'm not saying this is your marriage. I'm just simply saying, yes. Okay. And I'm going to repeat it because of the recording, but uh, just long periods of time without talking and just kind of existing in the home. Okay, good. Uh, Yeah, you had your... Each person has their own 
person does their own thing. Just the wife has her interests, the husband has his interests, and they really don't do much of anything together. Okay. Each have their own interests and don't do much together. Good. Yes. Lots of conflict. A lot of conflict. Yeah. That's a good sign. Yep. Good. Any other thoughts? Two people um, at the table on their cell phones, not engaging. Um, one of the things I enjoy doing, the side hobby of mine, is whenever Becky and I go to a restaurant, I love to observe what other couples are doing. Uh, some couples are uh, engaged and talking, which is a, kind of rare nowadays. Um, but uh, some are just eating away and don't say a word to each other. They're on their self, cell phones. Not too long ago, last year... Um, Becky and I were in Phoenix, and um, uh, my sister was ill and passed away from cancer, and so we had gone there. We stopped to get something to eat, and uh, we're sitting there in a table in the middle, and there's booths along the side, and I, I looked. There was three booths, and every, it was couples, all three booths, each person was on their phone, and for a period of time. It wasn't like look and put it down. I took a photo of it. I'd have to go back and look for it. But I just thought, isn't that characteristic of where we've become nowadays and really don't communicate? Any others? Yes. Lack of affection. Lack of affection. Very true. Uh, thank you. So here's, here's some I wrote down. I like your guys. Did you write theirs down? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. We'll add them to the list. Uh, when, when the marriage just kind of revolves around the kids and nothing's really going on with the couple, um, when was the last time we remember having a date night? Um, just talked with a couple recently, and they said, uh, I said, when was the last time you guys just spent time with, for yourselves, going out for a date, doing something? And they looked at each other and said, we can't remember. Um, when we start nitpicking each other, you know, it's like we can't do anything right and we've got to make a little nitpick here. Uh, when we... Um, I don't know how many of you use Facebook, but... Um, um, so here's what I wrote. When we talk too much about how much we love our spouse on Facebook. You know what that means? They've just had a fight. And you're trying to take and reassure or win back the favor of your spouse. We have a couple we've been working with. And the wife is very, very angry at his wife. Or her husband, excuse me. And um, he is... Uh, I was supposed to call him and say, stop posting how much you love your wife on Facebook. It's just making her more angry. But um, it, it, it's like, I have something like 1,100 friends or close to it. And so I see a lot of stuff people posting about. And it's like, hmm, I wonder what happened in their marriage yesterday or recently, okay? Um, we, we are alone with each other, and uh, when we're alone with each other, we hardly talk. 
And uh, my last one is this. When we begin to fantasize about being married to someone else. When we take and just kind of take our spouse for granted, we kind of feel lonely, um, and uh, we just begin to think, what would it be like to be married to someone else or old uh, hot uh, date at one time? And I hear that from time to time in counseling. And I would say, those should be wake-up calls that something is going wrong that we need to address immediately. We cannot let it continue Now, where does this all lead? And um, I want to suggest that it comes from what's going on inside of us in the sense that it's all about my happiness or what's going to satisfy me. And I would say we've kind of lost a um, mentality about thinking of my spouse and their needs. It's more about what I need, what I want. There's a couple that just, um, the wife just uh, filed for uh, divorce this last week. And her words were basically, and this is paraphrased a little bit, is I'm just not happy with you anymore. And I just can't stand the idea of having to live my life with you. And uh, surely, and he hasn't done anything wrong or bad. um, And she says, I know I don't have biblical grounds for divorce, But after the divorce, I believe God will forgive me. God's forgiveness isn't that cheap. And, um, but it's, it's about her. And I think a lot of us are lonely. A lot of us are hurting. A lot of us struggle. But why, how have we gotten there and what do we do about it? And I hope that through some of the things we talk about this weekend, um, we can address more the core of what's going on inside of us. So um, I want to suggest that we slowly drift to a place of complacency and what I'm going to call self-obsession, where it's all about me. And so I've asked Becky, um, would you read that paragraph, please? In their book, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, social... Psychologists Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson describe how fixation on our own righteousness can choke the life out of love. They write, The vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly, over time, in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. So how did we get to the point of feeling justified that uh, it's okay for it to be about me? I want to take us back for a moment, and most of you know this, But um, how did this begin? You know the story of Satan. How did Satan become who he was? But his name was Lucifer. He was the guardian of God's glory. And at some point, he became jealous of protecting God's glory and wanted it for himself. So with a third of the angels, he rebels against God. 
He doesn't destroy God. He doesn't win. But Satan is not destroyed. He's kicked out of heaven. And then God takes and creates Adam and Eve, the earth and all the things. And uh, here is Adam and Eve, God's image bearers on earth. And because Satan was not able to take and destroy and, and conquer God, What Satan does is he comes after God's image bearers. If I can't get God, I'll go after his image bearers, which is you and me. And the result of that is, is that how did he do that? And so we see in Genesis chapter 3 where God says, or or Satan says to Eve, um, you know, what did God say about eating the fruit in the middle of the garden? I'm kind of paraphrasing it here, but... um, But uh, you know what? If you eat of the fruit of the garden... You won't die, because God said if you eat of the fruit in the center of the garden, you will. And, uh, you know, God doesn't know what he's saying. God cannot be trusted. You need to take things into your own hands and figure it out. Let me uh, just uh, read the verse here, because it's really powerful as to uh, what Satan is trying to do. But he says, the woman, and so he said, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat from the trees in the garden, but God, but God did say you must not eat uh, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so here Satan is setting them up to take and say, you know what? God is holding out on you. You need to take things into your own hands. And to this day, we have bought into that because Eve eats and then Adam eats, and we carry that same gene that says, I know what's best for me. And God is not enough to make me happy. It's interesting to me that, um, I don't know where my phone is. Maybe I left it. Oh, on this side? Okay. Um, I want to just share something with you. Um, Last evening is... We were getting ready to pack up and such. Uh, one of couples I've been working with off and on uh, texts me. And um, his wife is dying of, she's getting treatment, but I think she's dying of cancer. She's been a very hurt woman um, growing up and with a previous husband who physically emotionally, verbally abused her. She got out of that marriage, married this fella, um, and um, um, they've struggled. She has trouble loving because of just a lot of deep wounds. He's a very needy, insecure man. So here's what he wrote. I want to make sure I'm sorry. He says, hate to say this, but I can't uh, take her anymore. Had a few good days, but she needs help, 
and has needed help since we married the first time. They were married, divorced, we married each other. I got help. I got help from you and did well as long as it took I took her abuse. I stand up to her and I need my ego stroked and it may, and I make it about me. I did not get to say how much uh, I did not get to say much when we met because uh, when he and I met uh, because she was busy bitching about her life because they met with me a couple weeks ago and I um, they had a crisis but it's gotten worse he said I asked her five or six times a day if I can do anything for her and she has has it um, but uh, then in a few hours later she says I do nothing for her and he goes on just like here's here's how she won't respond to me and her her thing is basically um, she doesn't want to open up herself to him because she doesn't want to be hurt again. And he takes that as she doesn't care and he can't do anything. And, and what I said to him in later text is I said, um, you know what, it's all about you. It, it's about whether she'll love you and if you won't. And he, he goes on to say basically that um, I don't know why I'm alive and I have nothing to offer. I'm a horrible person, this and that, and just goes to a lot of self-contempt. You know what? Um, that's kind of the extreme. But here's what I want to say. There's some of that in all of us. There's some of that in me. That when things don't go the way that I think they should or how Becky should respond to me, that I get upset and I can get angry and disappointed. I'm not saying it's wrong to want our spouse's love. But when we cannot be okay and when Christ is not sufficient enough to meet our needs in the midst of a crisis, something deeper is going on. And I think we've bought into the lie from Satan that uh, you know what's best for you. And what we do, instead of examining ourselves inside, what we really do is we begin to blame our spouse for not coming through for us. And that's um, what this gentleman does. We hide from the truth about who we really are. And instead of looking inside, we blame others. And can I say, it is not easy or comfortable to take and look inside. I don't like looking inside. Um, one of the things when I was in seminary, um, they would say frequently, you cannot take someone any farther than what you've been willing to go yourself. So you need to work on your own stuff. It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always pleasant. And in spite of the pain of it at times, I knew, but God, you're trying to do a work in me. It's interesting. I don't know how many of you had some sort of argument or fight today before you got here. There. <laughs> One honest, two, three, any more? Um, I'm, I'm, I say I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. How many times? I'll just, I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, you know, Satan is trying to attack. I, I knew what I was going to be, you know, be teaching. 
And, and so today, uh, I can't tell you how many times Becky and I have been snippet at each other, which is not that normal, right? No. I and, was thinking you were snipping at me. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking the other way, but for the sake of laying my pride down in front of these people, I'll say you're right. <laughs> so, um, so, I'll tell you what happened. Um, I, I needed to get some new shoes. Um, my shoes got cut on the side, and uh, next week I leave for the Czech Republic. And so I wanted to have some new shoes before I leave and, and uh, get them broken a little bit. Went two weeks ago to the store where I like certain shoes, and the shoe I wanted they didn't have, and so they had to order it from another store, Escanaba, which I didn't even know they had shoes in Escanaba. But, um, but anyhow, they said two weeks to come in. And uh, so two weeks have gone by. They haven't called, and I thought, so I called this morning to say, have my shoes come in. And he acts like, who are you? What? And it's like, you know, we, we put in an order. And, um, and so you can hear him shuffling. I bet for two minutes. Seemed like ten, but uh, you can shuffling and, and just a minute, just a minute, and this and that. And what I wanted to say is, you know what? You guys seemed a little incompetent when I ordered the shoes. Now you are incompetent. But I didn't say it because in my mind, that would be selfish. That, that's really making it all about me. And uh, this weekend, I'm going to be talking about selfishness, so I don't want to go there. But all this is going through my mind. And so then he says, you know what? Um, they, here they are. Uh, yes, they are in. But he said, uh, I've been trying to call you but evidently I wrote the number down wrong because I haven't been able to get a hold of you. And, uh, but yeah, you can come pick them up. I said, great, I'll be there. <laughs> and uh, so I went in there and uh, got the shoes and he apologized. And there was a part of me that just wanted to say, you know what, um, I'm disappointed. You guys blew it. But I didn't. And he apologized very graciously, and I said, thank you. Walked out to the car. Becky wanted to stay in the car, in the van. And uh, she turned on the ignition, without turning on the engine, I guess, to, what, keep the fan? or Listen to the radio. Oh, listen to the radio. And so um, I, I go to start the car, and it won't start. And the key is stuck. And it's like, I'm already a little about the shoe thing but I'm getting over it and then the car won't start and, and I said to you what did you do to the car you know which she got defensive I don't know why but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know it, it was and, and, and so she kind of I don't know what you said but I didn't like it and uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I just, I yelled at her and said, I don't know what I even said. Well, all I know is you were accusing me of what did I do? And I said, I didn't do anything. I just turned it two things. And so. And he, it, so then he's mad and he's kind of yelling. It was, it was righteous anger. <laughs> um, but. Um, but then he puts the. <laughs> <laughs> I was. 
And then he put the car in park, and guess what? The car starts. <laughs> that, that's, that's a minor point. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, gosh, how did we get here? And what did you say? I said it was the car's fault, didn't I? <laughs> what did I say? I said, I am sorry for yelling at you. So, um, so we got through that one. Uh, but you know what? Uh, what? What's going on behind that? Again, it's all about me. Things aren't going the way I think they should in my little world. And things are not cooperating with my agenda. And I feel deep inside that I have a right to be angry or upset or let someone know. And I, usually I do not. I'm the type of person, if my food's bad, I eat it anyhow. I hate <laughs> disturbing the waitress. But there's a part of me inside that isn't so pleasant. And I don't like that part of me. I don't know about you. But what I want to suggest is... Um, The selfishness that we have is rooted in pride. And our pride as to um, what I think is right, what I want for me, can I just say, I think it's the same pride that Satan had, where I want the glory, is what Satan said. Selfishness is the opposite of love. And what really fascinates me is this, is that selfishness never gets satisfied. Even though I take and demand and I say, here's what I want and get upset and such, you know what? Even if I get it, I'm still not happy. I may may feel a little relieved, but there's still that anger going on inside. And here's my point. The reality is, is that at our core, we are selfish people. I'm a selfish husband. My wife is selfisher than me, but uh, if that's a word. But uh, no, you know what? I would like to think that way. But I got to stop and look at my own selfishness. I am not given the right to take and judge her selfishness. And yet, why is it so difficult to take and look at our selfishness? Um... I think at times Becky has a way of exposing my selfishness. By the way she talks to me, by the way things go in our marriage, it's just like I don't seem to get as selfish with other people, but when it comes to our marriage relationship, I, I feel like I have a right to be more selfish. Why is that? Uh, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, that I want to be in control. One of the things that uh, I sometimes ask when I'm teaching is this, is would you want to be married to you? I wouldn't. Uh, Maybe some of you would. He said absolutely. (laughs) Let me talk to you afterwards. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm learning. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, right. We'll just pray a little more for them. Uh, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't put up with half the crap that I think Becky should put up from, with, from me, okay? I, I'm sure there's things that I do that I would say, Don, cut it out, you know? Don't be so selfish or don't be so demanding. Um, and yet I expect Becky to put up with those things when I start to look at it. Um, so here, here's my thought. Um, when, when we forget that evil exists that causes us to be selfish. What you're listening to is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2019 Couples Weekend. The focus is prioritizing your marriage. To learn more about the ministry, you can go to bridgetolife.org. Now back to Don and Becky Smith. We make it about me, and I want to be pleased. And when we make it about us, it opens up doors for problems and evil to enter our marriage relationship. Selfishness is not just something that affects me. It affects our marriage relationship. And I think sometimes we just take it for granted. And I don't mean to be a downer tonight and just uh, harp on how horrible we are. But if we do not look at our hearts and our demandingness and our selfishness, none of the rest matters. And so um, let me just, um, our contribution to our marriage problems as a result of our self-obsession. I would put it this way. We are two people who are self-appointed gods. In other words, I think I know what is best, and Becky thinks she knows what is best. And we're in competition with each other, and I think we're in competition with God. I know there's times when I say, I really don't care what anybody thinks. I have a right to feel the way I do. As I was reading the passage in... um, 1 Peter 3 in preparation again, something just jumped out at me that I've read, but I I didn't catch. And uh, going along with the point, we are self-appointed gods. Do you remember what Satan says here? For God knows that when you eat of your, uh, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and here's the key part, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, I'm not sure theologically and in the Hebrew um, study of the words totally what that means because I I didn't get into it that deep, except to say that you will be like God. And what what does God do? It's it's, uh, everything, we're to glorify God, it's about him. And what I'm trying to do is say, it's all about me. And I think when Satan says, and you will be like God, yeah, you're going to want it all about you. That's what we're wrestling with. It's not just a kind of an idea out there that somehow, um, yeah, I'm a little bit selfish, but we all wrestle against it because Adam and Eve sinned and we carry that same condition. 
that we have to struggle with. We don't like talking about our selfishness, our sin, our failure to love. Uh, I don't. I would rather just talk about some real positive things. But if we don't recognize the existence of sin that we battle against and our selfishness, um, how can we take and work on it? In other words, you have to know that there's a problem in order to fix it. And if we don't want to look at how selfish and sinful we really are, even though we've been saved by the blood of Christ and we're children of his, there's still that struggle to do it ourselves. And when I can take and admit, Don, here's how you're selfish and here's how it shows up in your life, the way you love Becky, the way you love your kids, the way you love other people. And I see it and I say, you know what, that is horrible. And God, would you help me with this? I find it interesting. Um, There's a quote, uh, some of you may be familiar with Dallas Willard. And he, he says this. He talks about how we are like farmers who diligent. So listen to this illustration he gives. We are like farmers who diligently plant crops but cannot admit the existence of weeds and insects and can only think to pour on more fertilizer. Simply, the only solution we know to human problems today is education. And what he's saying is if we don't realize that there's something deeper going on in our selfishness, um, we're going to approach it as, well, let's just get more education. So here's my concern. There's a lot of books out there on marriages. All you have to do is go to Amazon or a bookstore or something or other, and there's all these books. There's a lot of seminars. You're here to one uh, this weekend. We do our heart and soul class. Um... It's done around the world, a lot in the U.S. But you know what? Education doesn't change hearts. And I think sometimes as if, if we can just know a little bit more and get some education, that maybe we will love better. And if we don't address that there's weeds in our life and just keep pouring on fertilizer we're not going to deal with the root problem. And my fear is sometimes that we're educating people in our classes instead of dealing with their heart issues. The problem isn't in the brain. The problem is in the heart. And my concern is is that for me to love Becky well, I need to deal with my heart. And I'm saying this to say to kick off what we will start into our real lectures tomorrow morning is to say, you know what? We're going to be talking about some things tomorrow that I think are really interesting. But if we haven't checked our hearts out, it's just more information. It's not so much what you know that will change you as it is what you really believe. And when we really believe what who we are and what Christ has done for us, it changes our lives.
not just knowing it, but believing it. We'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow. So marital education and knowledge, if, not, if it doesn't confront our, our selfishness, our heart, uh, we will not be able to love well. So, in fact, what I've observed over the years is this, is that sometimes we go to marriage things or read books or podcasts or something or other, and it really gives us ammunition to take and attack our spouse with. It becomes a weapon to try and change our circumstance instead of coming from a pure heart and a sacrificial heart. And I, I would say we really got to be careful. What do we do with education? So having, oops, so let me back up. So um, basically, uh, we're, I would say safely that uh, we're in denial. We just don't think that way, that I could be that selfish. Another quote by Willard, Dallas Willard, he warns about what he calls denial. He says, denial is a primary device that humans use to deal with their own wrongness. In other words, I am not going to take and um, deal with what I do wrong. I'm just going to deny it. I find it interesting. Sometimes I do something, and Becky will say, Don, you, did, you just did such and such. You know what the first words out of my mouth are? No, I didn't. I don't even have to think about it. It just automatically comes out. No, I didn't. And Becky has this way of looking at me like, really? Which that look could kill anybody. <laughs> um, but um, we use denial to not take ownership and to look at how we're selfish. Every marriage is to some extent in denial about our selfishness that lingers in our hearts and the result is it affects our marriage relationship in a negative way. And so I, I kind of thought, so how, I wonder how this affects a husband and a wife in denial. So listen to me, and you can probably come up with some examples yourself. But as a husband, I might say something like this. I don't think of myself as an angry spouse. Honestly, I don't think I'm that angry. When I'm counseling couples, um, just not too long ago, a couple's been coming to me for counseling from Chicago, and they come up once a month. And they're just bickering back and forth. And finally, I just said, you guys are both incredibly angry at each other. And, uh, and I said, uh, and so I just said a little bit about what that looked like. And I said, I don't know if you guys will come back again, but I have to say this. And I just shared what that looked like. And I said, I'd love to meet with you again, but um, I don't think you're going to like what I have to say. And so I just talked about their anger. And they left. They had another appointment. They showed up for it, which I wasn't sure if they would. And they said, Don, on the way home, because they have, what, a three-hour drive or so, they said, we talked about, yeah, Don was right. We're incredibly angry at each other. And we need to start working on our anger. And, uh, and they said, we just never saw how angry we were. And I would say a lot of our anger is 
We're not aware of it. So, sometimes I'll ask couples, and I just did this recently. I said, what I'd like you to do is I w- give each other permission, but what I'd like you to do is when you guys start getting into it, would you take and just record it and, and then play it back a little later as to um, what you guys are saying and how you say it? I did that uh, sometime back with a couple. We played it back, and uh, the wife said, that's not me. <laughs> well, there's no other woman in this room. Um, it, it's like, we're, we're shocked sometimes. We don't hear how we come across. And so, uh, as a husband, I, I don't think of myself as an angry spouse. We think of our spouse as being wrong. And that's what sparks my anger. I'm not an angry person. It's just when she does this, then I do get angry. But other than that, I'm not an angry person. Well, you're still angry. As a husband, we don't see ourselves as lustful or unfaithful. But rather we think of our wives as being cold and preoccupied or negative. In other words... No, I'm not one who lusts and, and uh, so on. But my wife just is kind of a cold person. She isn't very romantic, very responsive. She doesn't meet my needs, which kind of justifies some of the things. But all men struggle, you know. And I can't tell you how many times in counseling a husband has said something like, well, Don, uh, other guys do the same thing. Why, why are you picking on me? I, I, I find it interesting that there's no place in the Bible where God says, take a survey and we'll go with the majority on this issue. <laughs> I think of Yogi Bear. Remember he used to say, I'm better than the average bear? Um, that kind of dates my age, I suppose. But, um, but it's, it's like, I'm better than a lot of those guys. Someone just said, that, the guy just said this reason. He said, Don... I'm better than most of the guys you probably counsel. Oh, so privileged to meet you. you know? <laughs> it, it, it's just like, man, we, we can't humble ourselves enough to say, you know what, I'm messed up. I need some help. I don't love my wife right. She's cold and I don't, and, and rigid, and, and I, I don't know how to love her. And could you help me? No, I'm, you know, and I justify it. I think some of the hardest counseling I do is when a spouse is very defensive and you can't point out anything about what they do wrong. For fear, they feel like you're picking on them. Um, a wife just said recently, she, she said, uh, Don, you've been picking on me the whole hour, and uh, when are you going to start dealing with some of my husband's stuff? And, my point, what I wanted, and I said something to this. I said it nicely. But I, I said, didn't you hear at all what I've been trying to say the last hour just about what's going on inside of you and how you come across? If we really saw it, we would be convicted. We would be tearful to some degree and just say, I want to repent of my selfishness and demanding this and criticalness and deal with that instead of what about him? There's something about us that doesn't want to take ownership of what's going on inside. I don't at least not easily. And we, we somehow deny what we're doing. How about wives? We're equal opportunity here. Um, 
a wife might say something like this. Uh, a wife does not see the way that she is critical, that she's a critical person. Rather, she would see her husband as being harsh, angry, and uncaring, and that's why she's critical. It's, it's like, I have a right to be this way. Um, Tit for tat, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, two days ago, counseling a couple. What, what is today, Friday? Friday, so yesterday. A um, couple came in and uh, just recently started working with them. And uh, she doesn't yell or scream, but she's really good with words of just belittling him and kind of telling him how he's not the Christian man he ought to be and how he handles things. And, and he's a guy that his mother was a very critical person, so that just puts him into a rage. And then that justifies her, like, see how you are and what you're doing? And, uh, and I just said to her, I said, I don't know if you see it this way, but you're, you're very critical of your husband. That's rain. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but, but you know what? She said, I'm not being critical. I'm just pointing out some things he should be working on. And I cannot open up to him until he w- deals with those things because I don't feel safe to, to open up to him until he deals with that. And I said, I don't, this is like the third time I've met with you guys. And, and I said, but every time it's, it's always where he's fallen short. And I'm sure he has plenty there. And um, you see, my point is we try to justify what we do, how we come across, and what's going on. Which leads me to the question, so what's the cure? Um, I've written down four things here before we get to motives, if you want to write these down in some way. But evil needs to be confronted. The evilness, the selfishness of my heart cannot be overlooked. And so here's the four things I believe we need to do in order to confront our evil. Number one is ask God to search our hearts and minds. Ask God to search our hearts and minds. Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me. Yeah. And know my ways. Uh, yeah, see if there be any uh, hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, God, I'm asking you to take and search my heart and try my thoughts. There we go. And see if there be any wicked way in me. I pray that verse every day, that Lord, today, because if something comes up that's bothering me, I want you to use that to take and work inside of me instead of just brushing it aside. So are we allowing, asking God to search our hearts? Number two is ask God to expose our self-righteousness. Not only search our heart, but Lord, would you expose it? And I think when he asks it, you better be ready for him to expose it because he probably will. Because in reality, we are following Satan's pride and Satan's lies. We bought into the idea that it's about me and what's going on. And so 
Lord, would you just lay me open? I don't want, I don't want to give Satan one edge in my marriage relationship and in the way I love Becky. And so, Lord, if there's anything there, would you expose it? Satan has enough of a heyday without me helping him. And I'm not about to give him any help. Third one is stop trying to turn our spouse into the person we want them to be. You may not see that, but I would say, what if you asked your spouse, do I try to change you into the person I think you ought to be or want to be? Stop trying to turn your spouse into the person you want them to be. Because when we do that, what we're really saying is, I'm going to make you into the person that will meet my needs. Whenever you look to your spouse to meet your needs, you're setting them up to be a God to you. In other words, you're the lucky person who's going to meet all my needs and make me happy. And what we teach in the class is simply this, spouses do not make good gods because they're going to disappoint you. Number four, God calls us to seek his kingdom first. God calls us to seek his kingdom first. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. In other words, I'm here to feather God's kingdom, not my kingdom. Are we aware of how much we're trying to arrange things around what I want my little comfortable world to be and we totally leave God out of it? Yeah, we go to church, we give uh, offerings uh, perhaps and we take and um, pray and such, but the rest of it's all about me. And I would say in our marriage relationship, where and how are we building God's kingdom? We're going to talk about that later uh, tomorrow morning. So having said that, um, so in the notes there, I say the motive test. How do I know that I'm really dealing with dealing with my selfishness, my self-obsession? Here's what I came up with. When do you, uh, when, or let me say it differently. When things do not go as I think they should, how do I respond? When things do not go the way that I think they should, how do I respond? In other words, uh, perhaps um, I want Becky to do something for me. Right now I can't think of anything, um, unless you can think of something. Turn the key on. Yeah, or not turn the key on because (laughs) I did something. Um, I'm thinking of one not so serious. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's go with that, Hal. Um, And she doesn't do what I think, because I felt like we're in a hurry. We're trying to run some errands and uh, get get up here. And then the car doesn't work. It's all my fault. And it was her fault because she was the one in the car. She's the one who put the key in and turned it. I didn't. And so, um, you know what? And so, if it doesn't go the way I think, It should. How do I respond? I did not respond well. Which says, Don, it was more about you. 
Is it okay to be disappointed if Becky does something wrong? Of course. But when it controls me in a way that I don't respond in love, then the reality is, is that the issue's about me, and it exposes my real motive. And what I say so many times in counseling is they want to know, well, Don, um, am I doing the right thing? I don't know. But when it doesn't go your way, how do you respond? And if you don't respond well, then it's all about you. So my question is, how do you respond when things don't go? That, that, that nails whether you're selfish or not, in my opinion. The second one is, is the prayer test. The question to ask is, how, how much, I think I wrote something wrong here. The question to ask is, to know how much you are direct directed by God, and how much you are motivated by hidden, hidden selfish motives in your marriage. So, here's, here's what I wrote. Do you spend more time praying for your spouse's relationship and service to God, or more time praying about how they should change to meet your needs and be a better spouse to you? I think the way I pray about Becky is simply, Lord, would you change her that she wouldn't be so critical, so angry, so defensive, so whatever? That's a selfish prayer. Because what I'm saying is I want her to make my life more comfortable. Versus, God, what do you want to do in Becky's life? She has some wounds. She struggles with certain things. And irregardless of how she treats me, I'm more concerned about what's going on inside of her and that you would minister and love her and show me how to love her. My point is, I think our prayers, if you pray for your spouse at all, I think our prayers reveal deeply how selfish we are. And I have to confess that there have been times when I prayed about how I feel like Becky should change to make my life or marriage a little bit more comfortable for me. Is it wrong what I want? No. But when that is my primary desire, um, I'm not really praying what God, I think, wants for her. So, um, let me read something. Um, This is by uh, Gary Thomas, if you remember Sacred Marriage, the book. Uh, He writes this, When I understand how evil I am and how evil I can yet be, and that evil brings with it self-obsession, I am more determined to order my life around God's word and and uh, and, and will and just as importantly release my wife to do the same. And what he's saying here is when I begin to realize how selfish I am and convicted of it, it changes the way I pray and the way that I want God to work in our thing. Is you draw me closer to God. Uh, if you're wrapped up in how people make you feel and you being a bad person, you get defensive, that's a sign that something is very insecure inside of you. Something I say occasionally Um, recently in counseling and classes is this. 
is that um, I very much care about what people think of me. I was raised that way. Uh, my dad was um, coming from a Christian uh, conservative home. It's, it's, you, you live a certain way. You behave a certain way because people are watching you and you don't want to be a bad testimony. You don't want to send people to hell. And, um, and so it, it was very much um, performance-based. And um, what, how you looked was the most important thing. The other thing that kind of messed me up is my dad never praised me. Um, he said, I, I don't want you to get a big head. And so he, he wouldn't praise me. Um, I, I crave praise. And you're welcome to give me some this weekend. No. Um, but uh, you know what? Uh, I'm worried about what you think. You know what I'm going to ask Becky as soon as we're alone? How did it go tonight? Did I do all right? I wish I wouldn't ask that question. I wish Becky would bring it up by herself and say, Don, you did a great job. No. <laughs> uh, I still crave it, okay? I crave it. And um, the, the result of it is, even if you think I'm a horrible person or I did something wrong, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're wrong. You know? No, the reality is this. No matter what you think of me, I am much worse than whatever you think of me. Because I know my heart, and I know how selfish and messed up I am inside. But there's also a God who knows me thoroughly, all messed up, and he loves me incredibly, and he doesn't give up on me. So what you think of me isn't even close to how bad I am. But there's someone who loves me in all my messed upness. What would it look like in a marriage? What would it look like in the body of Christ and in your local church if you were just to say, you know what, we're all messed up. We don't have to pretend. We can just be real. We can share, hey, we struggled. We had a fight, this or that, instead of, oh, we're not like those other ones, you know? It's like, yeah, we're, we're kind of messed up, aren't we? And um, we're just learning to love each other better trying to deal with some things. Uh, um, instead, we're good posers. We're good at just pretending and looking things. And, and, and I, I think, and then we wonder why some people become disillusioned with the church, Christianity, and such, because they're all fake. In the sense that we're trying to be something without the grace of God. We're doing it in the flesh. And I think when we start to, in our marriage relationship just to begin to say, you know what, here's how messed up I am, but here's how much I need God in the midst of that. Then we find freedom. Just a couple more, uh, one more point. Uh, lay down our rights and demandingness. Um... I think it's so easy to, to have the attitude, I have a right to be right. Um, um, yesterday we were coming home from the office. It's, a, it's about 11 miles from our office to our home. There was this car going incredibly slow. For, the speed limit is 45. He is doing at best 30. Why? At first he was going okay, and then all of a sudden he slows down. 
Um, if I could have passed, I would have. Um, there was just, it was either no passing or cars coming. And um, I was just upset with that guy. I think it was a guy. I, honestly, I think it was a woman, but I'll say guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But you know what? Um, so all these thoughts go, and, and it just hit me. Don, you're demanding that you have a right to get through there. See how easy my rights jump in and say, I have a right to go 45 miles an hour, and you're hindering my right because of your stupid driving? And they're my rights. And I ask myself, I wonder how Jesus would handle this. I think he would just be at peace, and we'll get there when we get there. But I have a right because I'm in a hurry. Folks, our rights pop up all over the place. What would it look like to lay down our rights? Not only when we're driving, but in our marriage relationship. I don't have to be right. Or we sometimes feel like we're entitled. You know, I should get this because, you know, I have this need and you're my spouse. We need to start by seeing our own selfishness as being the central problem that we deal with. When we deal with our selfishness, then we can deal with the communication issues and the different things we need to talk about. But if we talk about communication or or schedules and different things with a selfish heart, folks, we're never going to get to the bottom of it. Um... So, Jesus reminds us of this in John fifteen thirteen. You're familiar with it. He says, Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friend. If I could just rephrase that, no, no greater love than this that Don would lay down his life for Becky. What would that look like? I sure wasn't laying down my life today for her. The verse in Luke 9.24 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. In Luke 9.24. It's not easy to take up my cross in my marriage relationship. There's something inside of me that demands I have rights and you should come through for me. And how would our marriages look if we were to able to die to self a little better? I think a lot, of, a lot of difference. And so as we go through the weekend here, my, um, my hope is that you really allow the Spirit of God to really speak to some of those areas. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to be doing we are going to take and pretend that your marriage is a house with different rooms, dining room, living room, bedroom, uh, IT room, work room, so on. And what if we were to take a tour through your marriage rooms? What would it look like? But we're also going to approach it from this point 
What if we allowed Jesus to walk through our rooms? What would he see? What would he say? What would we want to hide as he walked through? I know, just talking about the physical, our physical homes, I would not want you to walk through our home right now. It's kind of a shamble because we've been gone here for a couple things. Um, and um, so there's things here and there. Um, so we hide our physical homes. But it's even scarier for you to come in my marriage home. And we're going to take a look at that as we walk through it. But I want Becky to read a little story that uh, we ran across. And uh, I think you'll understand it. This is called The Keeper of the Stream. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far above anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the stream springs. He had been hired so long ago that, that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water, but his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream collector, cleaner, stream cleaner had become a luxury that they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired, and yet another time the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. And then I'm going to do a quote by Dallas Willard in his book, In Renovation of the Heart. Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature, and all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. Thank you. Um, we thought that um, a little story really 
puts to words the importance of keeping our inner stream clean. We let a lot of things in that clog and dirty our stream. And our prayer is, is that you would really search to see where you're not keeping your soul clean. That stream that God wants to flow through you. And perhaps some of you maybe have had a hard heart, or indifferent heart, numb heart. And I would just simply say, I, if, if we listened to you, I could understand why and how you got there. But I would say, that's not where we really want to stay. And I don't think that's where God wants us to stay. And so as we go through this, we're, we're just saying, God, would you take and cleanse my stream? Help me to see what I need to deal with, and we'll walk through that um, tomorrow morning. So with that, let me just close in prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, um, thank you for bringing us here safely. And as we begin to think through some things, would your Holy Spirit just um, cleanse our soul, our mind, in a way that will free us to... uh, Really go deeper and uh, be free to love. So your Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And so guide us as you want to love us and uh, love through us. So uh, give us a good night's rest. And uh, Lord, we'll thank you for a fresh night of rest. In Jesus' name, amen. What you have just heard is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2019 Couples Weekend. The focus has been prioritizing your marriage, and you have heard session number one. Sessions two, three, and four will be broken down into the rooms in our marriage relationships. Looking to our hearts. Be sure and listen next week to this podcast from the Couples Weekend of Bridge to Life Ministries, with Don and Becky Smith. If you'd like more information, you can go to bridgetolife.org.